0: of behavioral economics is premised on the fact that people are irrational. By harnessing tools such as incentives, healthcare providers and drug makers are trying to change patient behavior as a way to improve outcomes and keep people healthy. Susan Garfield, principal in the Life Sciences Practice of EY, discussed the opportunities for the application of behavioral economics in the healthcare realm the role digital technologies can play in enabling this approach, and what companies are doing today to move this from academic to industry practice. Susan, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, great to be here.
0: We're going to talk about behavioral economics changing customer behavior and how biopharmaceuticals, by better understanding customer decision-making can be more successful. Behavioral economics has become popularized in recent years through a number of books, such as Freakonomics, and and last year Richard Thaler won a a Nobel Prize for his work. For people who may not be familiar with the field, what is behavioral economics?
1: Yeah, I think the way to think about it is what makes people do the things that they do? What are the incentives that drive behavior and choices. And if we want to um, drive sustainable behavior change with things like smoking or eating well or taking your drugs when you're supposed to, what is it that we need to understand about human behavior and the incentives that drive it that meaningfully change health outcomes? So one of the reasons why behavioral science has become so popular is we... We really need to motivate people to to change in a more sustainable way than they they have in the past.
0: Unlike traditional economics that's premised on people acting rationally, behavioral economics acknowledges that people are not rational. I think of Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational. How predictably can drug companies hope to influence behavior when people don't act rationally in their decision-making?
1: Well, one of the classic conundrums in in healthcare is people consistently make decisions that aren't in their best interest as it relates to health outcomes. Think about the last time you went to dinner and you know that maybe you have a few pounds to lose, but you still ordered the steak and you still had dessert. Um, There's a lot of very comforting things that that we do that aren't necessarily in our best interest. Um, and, And consistent with that, with a lot of healthcare interventions, it's not just about living well or making healthy choices. It's about doing things over and over again um, every day. And, and humans traditionally aren't very good at um, sustaining behavior over the long term. Um, so what what I think pharmaceutical companies are, are learning is what are the predictable places that human um Weakness, or or just or our our traditional behavior comes in conflict with what are the best things that we should be doing for ourselves, and how can we use interventions, whether technical or behavioral or administrative, to to change those outcomes? So, the recent um, Nobel Prize kind of building on this concept of nudging people: how can we give them hints to do the right thing? And 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 that's that's a lot of the backdrop of some of the interventions that companies, not just pharmaceuticals, are, are starting to leverage.
0: Well, when you think of the opportunities for uh, applying behavioral economics to the healthcare arena, where do you think the, the, the biggest opportunities are? Um,
1: yeah, so I think one of the most commonly, um, the places where many companies are starting is in chronic disease management, um, where you need to really think about how do you help people over the long term. So you're not trying to get someone to do something once. You're trying to get people to sustain behavior change, which is very, very difficult. So um, with diseases that are increasingly prevalent, like diabetes, heart disease, um, uh, behavioral economics as as a underpinning of long-term behavior change and Incentive-based interventions can be very, very powerful. Um, I think another area that we're seeing it play out is in the gamification of um, of a lot of healthcare uh, tools and um, applications, where you can really start to develop to develop relationships with patients um, and and help educate them and incent them. Um, to do what they should be doing, whether it's taking their pills or checking in with their doctors or doing certain tests. And a lot of the, the gaming tools that are making this more fun um, and more sustainable are are, are based on, on what we know about people's behaviors and preferences or incentives and interactions and um, immediate gratification and support, uh, feedback loops, et cetera.
0: One of the complexities that drug companies face in trying to influence customer decision-making is that in most cases, the person prescribing a drug and the person paying for the drug is not the person using the drug. How how does this complicate the use of behavioral economics when the end user may be somewhat disconnected from cost and may have no choice about whether a, a particular drug is prescribed?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and that's been traditionally the challenge in in paying for um, a lot of preventive services in the U.S. healthcare system, and also kind of systematically funding some of these tools that are really oriented um, at, at the patient level. And I think there's a growing understanding among payers and providers that population health management. Is going to have to incorporate many of these tools to succeed. That just paying for drugs on their own isn't the way to um, move the needle meaningfully on a lot of these chronic diseases. Um, So we're we're seeing an increasing acceptance of some of these tools and interventions by payers. In some cases, being paid for in, in, in. the um, CMS, the the organization in the US government that funds Medicare has several pilot programs that are funding kind of a more comprehensive service offering around patients. Um organizations like accountable care organizations um, that are incented for kind of the, the total continuum of care, the outcomes based payment models. These these systems of payment start to support the types of interventions that we're talking about um, because it's really positive outcome by any means possible. And, and these new tools that are having a positive impact become increasingly important.
0: As you think about how drug companies should be applying behavioral economics, should should they be making the same types of considerations when it comes to thinking about doctors or even payers?
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it's not about what drug companies should be doing. I think it's about how all of the, the stakeholders and the healthcare ecosystem should be working together towards the same goals, which is driving patients to make better, healthier decisions and encouraging them to adhere to the care pathways that make the most sense for them. So I think the age of drug companies acting totally independently in their patient engagement strategies um, is over. I think increasingly they're working with provider organizations, working with technology organizations, trying to find solutions that positively wrap around the patients, but also fit into larger, more integrated systems of care. Um, So to that degree, how drug companies think is, is similar to how health systems should and how payers should think, which is, you know, how can we leverage both the behavioral economic theory but also the new technical and and analytic tools to just support the types of behavior we want and how can we measure um, the the outcomes so that we can create learning systems that can continually improve outcomes, experience, and cost.
0: So, if you think about chronic disease or something like, say, diabetes, where compliance Mm -hmm. is critical, are you seeing any examples of drug makers and providers working together to improve compliance so they can avoid more costly outcomes?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good examples of collaboration um, in the marketplace today. So... Um, there's some that are, are relatively simple um, around value-based payment models where companies are bringing innovations to patients and, and, and payers are kind of paying for them when they work as opposed to paying for, for a drug across the board. And these types of, of coverage models or payment models um, encourage kind of a faster adoption of new technologies. Um, but in other cases, there's some co-collaboration um, which which helps manufacturers and provider groups work together. So we see a lot of inno- innovation at integrated delivery networks who are both providers and payers. So they manage and control patient populations, but also bear the burden of the costs. And so they become very receptive to these types of tools that can positively impact Patient behavior and, and drive good outcomes. So, those are organizations like Kaiser and Geisinger Health and, and, and Intermountain, places where they, I think, are driving a lot of inno- innovation and in how they're um, using technology and data to inform patient decision making and behaviors.
0: Well, what role do you think new technology, the, this new series of digital health technologies, will help transform and enable? behavioral, economic adoption the way providers and, and drug companies try to change patient behavior.
1: I think technology is really what's going to turn it from, from theory to practice and make sure that it becomes diffuse across the population. So the, 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 the tools we have now to engage with patients at a very personal level are 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 increasingly widespread, and and you think about the smartphone as this omnipresent mobile interface um, that allows us to to really become a, a partner with a patient in their own healthcare management. And so, I think the technology enabled by smartphones and digital um, applications, with the backdrop of of huge Data storage systems and data aggregators are, are really helping to take some of the theories, which is based on on, on learning people's patterns of behavior, um, intervening at appropriate times, offering incentives for change, and um, not considering failure as universal, but as an opportunity for for ongoing micro changes to that behavior to get to the outcome that you want. So that theory can be understood and embedded in some of the interventions that are increasingly these digital applications on smartphones that interact with patients where they are. So it's an exciting time because the technology is really driving adoption and and acceleration of this, this into standard practice.
0: Because, again, we're talking about What's fundamentally irrational behavior? How much of this has to be done through experimentation?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think the science, the science would say that, um, that behavior is, is only partially predictable, but what we can predict is that it will always change. And so when we think about experimentation, um, what, what we tend to think about are learning systems. And those who are developing and delivering these types of technologies are, are, are creating iterative solutions that are um, built on that kind of evolutionary, agile development approach um, so that they continue to learn um, about pa- patient behavior. They continue to improve as they get more and more data feeding into them, and, and they become kind of learning positive feedback loops to drive increasing impact. Uh, So I think at its base, we have to consider nothing as set in stone and everything is evolutionary, but I I think patients are going to benefit from that approach.
0: One of the signs that might be an indicator that companies are taking this seriously is their own staffing. I, I think of companies turning to specialized consulting firms to help them structure programs like this, but are you seeing drug companies and providers bring on behavioral economists to their own staff these days?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's coming in in, in different ways. So we're getting people with backgrounds, um, behavioral science, sociology, psychology, um, being incorporated into marketing teams. We have... Um, a huge amount of investment going in in um, data scientists and, and those who um, are building kind of agile analytics and predictive models, um, much of which is in and around kind of the behavioral um, component of customers. So are all the PhD behavioral economists being scooped up by the life sciences industry Maybe not, but but a lot of people with those types of skills and backgrounds are finding their way into significant um, decision-making roles, and the implications of a lot of this theory are driving um, development programs of of uh, tools and assets and and platforms that are helping improve patient outcomes and and the application of interventions to um, to support them.
0: One of the things this is trying to fix is the problem that people often don't act in their own best interest, and, and behavior is difficult to change. Uh, I'd argue companies are no different than people when it comes to that. Earlier, you you touched on uh, changing business models, and I'm wondering how how open the pharmaceutical industry is to moving away from a, a traditional model of, of selling medications to really providing services for healthy outcomes. Is is this where we're heading with this and, and do you see collaborations with providers driving them in that direction?
1: I think that's the direction we're moving towards overall. Um, the the role of behavioral economics in that overall shift I think is 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 a component. But I think overall what we're seeing in terms of trends is greater collaboration across the payer, provider, innovator slash manufacturer continuum, and the need for all of those groups who each have different types of expertise and skills and data sets and tools um, to come together to create interoperable platforms of, of care and patient management and data sharing um, to drive meaningful change. So part of it is potentially a shift towards paying for outcomes. Part of it is driving a more personalized care experience so we're, we're getting people the right interventions at the right time with the right types of support to make them effective for them. Um, and I think part of it is a greater sense of connectivity around healthcare. care. So it doesn't exist in, in a healthcare vac- vacuum but is more integrated with people's lives and communities um, so that these interventions have a greater chance of, of succeeding um, through a broader support network. And so all of those things I think come together um in in, in painting a picture of what the future of healthcare looks like. But you're right that outcomes and paying for outcomes is a big driver. And as people understand the drivers of, of behavior change and behavior change theory, it becomes a, a helpful tool to get closer to predictable outcomes and, and the interventions that can drive them.
0: Susan Garfield, principal in the life sciences practices of EY. Susan, thanks so much for your time.
1: Yeah, thank you. Have a great day.